Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right. Well, um, we're going to be jumping in here uh, real, real, really soon. It's, it's six o'clock. So, yeah, welcome here, buddy. Um, welcome to the call here. Um, it's, good to, it's good to be with you again, again this morning. Um, yeah, this morning, uh, Aaron Kreider, uh, he's from our congregation here at Fathers of Jesus. He's going to be um, telling us about All Nations Bible Translation. Um, Aaron has been working for All Nations since 2015. Um, in 2015, 2014, the church got started here in State College. And uh, Joel Martin is part of our congregation. And he was one of the founders of All Nations Bible Translation back in 2010. And uh, so All Nations moved here, bought a piece of property. So the All Nations base is right here in, in State College. Um, so, yeah, Aaron started in 2015 when he moved here. And he's one of the, one of the, main, the main guys at, at All Nations. Uh, he works full time for All Nations. So I, I had the privilege of working with for All Nations part time. Um, so we, we uh, rub shoulders quite a bit throughout the week uh, on this work. So, um, Aaron, are you... Uh, are you ready to roll? I can be. Okay. Well, why don't we just uh, start out with a, with a word of prayer? And by the way, Aaron, yeah, thanks for being willing to kind of break your Saturday morning ritual, sleeping in and, and uh, get up early to do this presentation for us. Appreciate that. For the ones on the call here, uh, we plan to do a, a ministry presentation maybe once a month or something like that. So, um, yeah, if you have any suggestions of ministries that you would love to hear or See, talked about on, on Strength to Strength, feel free to su- suggest them to, uh, to us. All right, well, let's, let's have prayer. Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your mercies that are, that are new. Uh, thank you, Lord, Father, that we can have the privilege of working in your kingdom. Um, we can have the privilege of, of knowing that we're your sons and we're your daughters um, we can have the privilege of, of, of knowing that uh, you're our father and, and that your son is our elder brother. And Father, we can have this incredible vision uh, that, that you've given to us of, of advancing your kingdom, your kingdom that, that is growing and, and, and going around the world, going into hard places. And it's a kingdom that advances through suffering love. It's not power over. It's not through coercion, manipulation, but it's through serving and it's through just following the the footsteps of of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, each of the brothers in this call and the work of your kingdom today. Uh, Bless Aaron as he as he shares on All Nations Bible Translation. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to raise up laborers uh, for this work of of going to parts of the world where people do not have your word, uh, the Bible in their language seeing that translated and seeing followers of Jesus uh, joining, your, joining you, uh, seeing people joining your work there in these parts of the world and, and your kingdom coming there in new ways. So, uh, God, and direct this conversation here this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and so, Aaron, you know, at the end here, yeah, we'll open it up for any questions that, that folks have. So, all yours. All right, and Brian will be happy to help answer your questions. See about that. Then. 
Okay. Um, just a moment to get started here. Let me uh, try again. Aaron, it, it, I saw the your slide. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Maybe, maybe I had it right. Yeah, there Can you go. Can you see that? Okay, yeah. thank you. Sure. Well, welcome to All Nations Bible Translation, where we uh, where we partner with Anabaptist churches for the unreached. And get my controls back up where I can see what's going on. I want to just park for a moment here as we're getting started on that on that little phrase, that little term, all nations. If you uh, if you look through the scriptures, you encounter this term um, pretty quickly. Maybe not exactly this term. Um, one of the one of the first times that something similar is used is in Genesis 12, where God calls Abram and tells him to leave his country, his family, his relatives, and go to a place that God will show him. And God says, I'll make of you a great nation. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, you take that little, follow that story a little further. And, and God confirms that promise to Abram after or to Abraham after his obedient act of, of uh, sacrifice, being willing to sacrifice his son. And God says, now I know that you fear me. And, and he repeats that promise. He says, I'll make you a blessing. You'll be a blessing to all nations. And this is this theme of blessing to all nations continues through the old and new Testament. We come to uh, just skipping over a whole bunch, but we come to the end of Jesus life on the earth here. And he says, uh, go you therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so the term nations is the, is the Greek term, something like ethnos that uh, is the foundation for our term ethnic groups. And that just, I just say that to highlight the, the fact that a nation is not necessarily a political uh, a geopolitical entity, uh, something that you can see on a map of the world, but it's not a country. A nation is a people group, and a, a particular, a given country may have many of those people groups, uh, usually speaking unique languages, and that, of course, is of interest to us in Bible translation. So, um, you know, we finally come to the end of the end of the story in Revelation, and we're told that there will be people of every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And so that's the, the driving vision. Here's how, how we express that vision, the all nations vision, communities of believers in every language group living out the word of God. And there's a few important points in there. First, just simply the communities of believers. We, again, in a quick survey through the scriptures, we see God delighting and choosing to dwell among a community of faith, 
people who are his covenant people, and he dwells among them as in a gathered community. In the Old Testament, among the people of Israel, whether it's in the desert or later as they are um, in the promised land and have the, uh, the temple where he dwells among them. And then in, moving to the New Testament, he comes to them, breaks through the language barrier there in, in Acts 2, uh, when the Spirit comes and he, he fills the believers, uniting them into one body, one community of faith. And of course, we, we know the, the picture of how they, uh, they began to become one in faith, and Jesus continues to pray that they would be one. And so every uh, local body, lo- local congregation, local assembly is a community of faith, a community of believers. And God's heart and God's vision, we believe, is that this would be a reality in every nation, in every people group, every language group. Uh, Disciples of Jesus together in community living out his will as he's revealed in his word and the story that he's told in his word. So this is the vision that that drives us as we serve the church, as we partner with churches. Now, the problem with that is out of the over 7,000 languages in the world, there are actually only about 700 or about a tenth that have the whole Bible, the whole, we could say the whole counsel of God. And as you see here, over 2,000 with no scripture translation at all, nothing that they can read in their own heart language. And in between, whether whether it's New Testaments or other portions of, of the scripture, there's uh, over 2,500 available in various languages, languages that have that much of the Bible available, but still missing at least 75% of the scripture not having the Old Testament. So there is a still a need, still a desperate need around the world. And these numbers are, are big enough that they kind of daze us in a way. Um, who can really comprehend that many languages? But um, it's a work that God cares about, the translation of his, his word into languages of the people so that they can comprehend and know him as a familiar friend as a familiar father. And so this leaves, this situation leaves many people groups in a place of no hope, a place of, of uh, having no scripture, no Bible, no church and no hope. So what, what will we do about that? Our goal is to focus prayer, giving and sending in that particular part of the world where they are the most unreached, or shall we say the least reached. And as we define that, just simply looking at the reality that there are people groups where there's been no church established. There are people groups where there's been no scripture translated. Some of them have one or the other where we're focusing primarily as kind of a laser focus, uh, clarifying, um, center point is those with no Bible and no church. How, how do we pursue a vision like that? Well, it simply takes churches like yours sending people like you, 
partnering together. And that's, that's why we partner with churches. Here's our mission as we've come to view it. We partner with churches to send teams who facilitate Bible translation and community development while working to establish indigenous churches. And I'll unpack that a little more. As you can see, there's, there's uh, our role has to do with facilitation. We're partnering in sending, and then those teams are working with the community toward Bible translation and community development. And with an end goal of establishing that indigenous church. Here's a little bit what that looks like. Um, simply put, if you if you look at this little square, little partnership square, it has uh, three primary points that are being made here. First, across the top, you have all nations and the sending church in a partnership, and then uh, vertically, this little diagram clarifies that the role and oversight. So All Nations has responsibility to give oversight to Bible translation and often to community development projects as well, while the sending church has responsibility for the church planting. So we are not an, a church planting organization. We're partnering with the churches in that. And then across the bottom, there's one single team working together in a given people group uh, at Bible translation, community development, and church planting. We're not sending a translation team to do all the academic stuff and then a church planting team to do all the discipleship. No, rather it's a, it's a joint team. It is one team where each member has the responsibility for discipleship and church planting, even though their role may be translation or community development. So as we team together, there's perhaps three levels of, of teaming for the unreached. Uh, the core level, of course, is that church planting team on the field. And then at a second level is the sending church. And most sending churches will establish something like a support team to help the church stay well connected and to provide a, a higher level of support to the field member, the member out there on the field. And then working alongside of them in this partnership is us here at All Nations. Then the third level of support would be where many of you might come in, where the need is for people who are willing to, to pray, to add a people group to their prayer list, to pray for this work and to, uh, to give, whether occasionally or one time or with monthly sponsorships. So it's a, a long-term work, takes ongoing prayer and finances. Here's what the church planting team on the field looks like. This is our, our model team. At this point, many teams haven't reached uh, this status of having three, three parties, three members yet, but uh, this would be a rounded out team. First with a community development facilitator an Old Testament and New Testament translator. Now, what that looks like, uh, let's talk about community development a little bit. Often community development opens the door for Bible translation and church planting. It may pave the way for others to follow and do that kind of work where otherwise the door may not be 
that open to this kind of thing. So the basis for community development is not necessarily based on a, a crisis situation and the need to provide humanitarian relief and that kind of thing. What, what we're talking about is recognizing, first of all, when we come into community, yes, they may have deep needs and chronic poverty, but let's recognize that God does give every person abilities and God gives every community resources. And so we serve the community by teaching them to develop and use their skills and resources and not to depend on what we do and bring. It's very easy to fall into that, um, creating dependency where we have the answers, we have the tools, we have the resources, we can supply everything from, from uh, across the ocean. But for a truly sustainable solution, we need to help them identify and the problems and develop the solutions that are within their reach. And one of the books that we use in training as we're just thinking about this subject is Gary Miller's book called The Other Side of the Wall. And I may have that here. Well, it's not within reach. Um, the Other Side of the Wall by Gary Miller available from TGS. It would be a uh, worth your while to just take the time to read that. And then Bible translation. As we, as our teams get involved in Bible translation, of course, it, they're not ready to do that in the first couple years of their work. But um, eventually, getting involved after they have learned the language well and built some relationships and have a better understanding of the communities. Uh, culture and worldview. So the five core values that we express in our translation, in our translation policy, uh, simply acknowledges that centuries of Bible translation have, have uh, revealed important characteristics of faithful and effective translations. So we try to uh, emulate that and achieve those same characteristics with these core values. First, accessibility. Uh, translation uses the familiar and present day language of the people, not necessarily the slang of the teenagers, nor the uh, vocabulary of the generation that is oldest. And the young people may not even know some of those words. Um, secondly, communication. And just to, to express that here, translation communicates to its readers in their context, the same meaning that the text, the source text communicated to its readers in their context. So we, we have two groups of readers and two different contexts, and we have to acknowledge that difference and, and then understand how the the meaning will be understood. How will we communicate the same meaning to the target context that we're working with? The same meaning that was understood by the original readers. And then to balance that point is the point on correspondence where 
we address the fact that translation should represent the form of the source text to the extent that the grammar of the target language permits without distortion that hinders comprehension. And so we're after comprehension and getting that meaning through while honoring the form of the source text. Then finally, collaboration and scholarship. This collaboration means that it's accomplished through the combined efforts of a team, uh, including qualified mother tongue speakers of the target language. You wouldn't want to attempt a translation uh, completely done by an outsider. It needs to be teaming together with those who grew up speaking that language and understand all of its connotations and nuances and idioms. So uh, scholarship means that team members are sufficiently trained and skilled in their roles, that we have someone on the team who's familiar with Greek and Hebrew, the original languages. So uh, again, I'll, I'll make a quick book recommendation about Bible translation. Uh, Dave Brunn, Dave Brunn wrote the book, One Bible, Many Versions. And it's addressed to an English speaking audience. Not a bunch, it's not addressed to a bunch of translators and it's not a hard read. Um, simply as a career translator uh, on the mission field, Dave Brunn realized that uh, many of the arguments that we have in the English speaking world over translation are based on oversimplified uh, concepts and oversimplification of complex uh, realities leads to conflict and disunity, he says. So uh, be worth your time. Dave Brunn, One Bible, Many Versions. Finally, the ultimate goal is believing community. And so the question we ask is, does God intend that scripture alone plant a church? You know, it's been said that, that the Bible is the greatest missionary, um, but the witness of, of history would show that simply translating the scripture and leaving it in the hands of the people dedicating it, or maybe leaving it in a warehouse somewhere, isn't sufficient to establish that God honoring Christ following church. And so all that we do, whether it's Bible translation, community development, whether it's aspects of literacy and uh, helping the people learn to read well, all serves that goal of a locally grown church. So with God's blessing, with lots of prayer, teaching and discipleship, the vision is to see a church growing up from the roots and out of its own soil rather than necessarily a transplant. So it would have locally rather than foreign, foreign leadership and locally available resources rather than foreign resources. It would use locally appropriate methods rather than our foreign methods. Going to move now into just a quick overview of the projects that All Nations is involved in currently. And starting here in Colombia, it's been a number, a few years here, half a dozen years that we've had members living in Colombia and pursuing some exploration throughout the country. As this little map shows, Colombia is full of nations, <laughs> full of people groups. Um, each little area on this map shows a, a different language. There's actually 80 to 100 perhaps different languages spoken in Colombia. And so 
it's been a matter of a lot of research and prayer to discern, okay, what area would the Lord have us to focus in in this region? Where we've ended up is down in the southern tip. And you may be able to see in the bottom of this map, the bottom tip of Colombia, little town of Leticia, right along the Amazon River. And from this town, uh, where we're establishing a, a presence there, teams can reach up into Colombia, over into Peru, as well as Brazil, where there are many unreached and a few even uh, uncontacted people groups. This is the region where you don't necessarily travel by road to get out to the village you want to go to. Uh, take some plane, some air travel, river travel, and a lot of hiking. So down living there um, in the TCR, Daryl and Rose Whitmer from Virginia, Wills Ridge Mennonite. And uh, their vision and goal is to help establish that presence in Leticia where all nations members can come and get a good start um, and get launched from there into other people groups around the region. And then the uh, Matthew Moorhart family uh, gathered here <laughs> in a circle. They're from Cuba Mennonite Church in Eastern Indiana. And Lord willing, uh, they are preparing along with their, their church to pursue a people group called the Hoopta. And these are uh, a people group that are north of, north of Leticia in, in Colombia. They have, there has been some mission work done among them in Brazil, but not in the villages that are in Colombia. And uh, it's been a little bit of translation done as much as the books of Jonah and Ruth. So you can imagine that's not very much for the foundation of a church. Uh, there's a lot more work needed. Pray for the, the work in Colombia, uh, the steps toward living among the Hoopta. This I'm just going to share as we go through each project, a, a few little prayer points. And if there's someone who's interested in noting some of these and remembering them in prayer or choosing one, uh, just encourage you to do that. There's This is uh, people entering into areas where the, the spiritual forces of darkness are against what these teams are envisioning and hoping to do. So prayer support is needed. So pray for them uh, as we figure out steps toward living among the Hoopta, the Whitmer's ministry in Leticia. As they uh, gain definition about what they will be doing there in addition to their work for all nations. And then just the different uh, people groups in the Amazon, whether it's in Colombia, Brazil, or Peru. Okay, moving across the ocean to Africa. The Madra is a code name for a project there for a nomadic people group, a people group who has been nomadic throughout their history and yet in these times are being forced to learn how to settle down and live more um, a more sedentary life. want to, uh, yeah, here's a picture of some girls threshing millet. Um, Food is, is important, of course, there, uh, like it is anywhere. But uh, in the dry season, these people know what it's like to get to get pretty hungry, uh, often only have one full meal every other day as they try to preserve the food until until the next uh, 
harvest comes around. Many times, uh, often every week, uh, you awake to the sound of a mortar and pestle beating a certain rhythm, and this rhythm indicates that a little girl child or a little boy child was born. And so there's always a, uh, a baby naming ceremony that happens where the the village religious leader names the child. Um, the religious culture there is very animistic and so one of the one of the ways that, that manifests itself is when you go to see the new baby, you need to say something not don't say something nice about it. Um, it'd be better to say, well, the baby, oh, he looks like a donkey or something like that. If you say something nice, you might draw the attention of the evil spirits to this child. And so there, the protocol surrounding this and many other things is based on a, a real animistic beliefs even though uh, these people are nominally Muslim, uh, it's, it's a syncretistic sort of Islam and there's a need for the truth there to, that sets free and brings light. Here they are working out in the fields, uh, taking a break to eat together. The uh, Caleb and Rolanda and their family are serving there and already at work in translation as Caleb has stepped in to help a team that's working under the direction of SIM in Africa. So pray for them that the next, next project that they have is building a small house in town where they can be close to where the translation is taking place. And then as he steps in to lead that translation team, um, they've already done the Old Testament with another uh, translator who was there helping and now she has left and Caleb is responsible to lead out. Um, pray that the Lord will provide a teammate for them to work in community development. And especially right now, uh, Caleb and Rolanda are home for a visit in Pennsylvania. Uh, just ask the Lord for their uh, refreshment and good recuperation during this time. They can be well prepared to go back. Okay, here uh, south of us in Nicaragua live the Mayangna people, a few of them across the border in Honduras as well. The, uh, the story, the Mayangna story illustrates the crucial role of faithful Bible translation in a people group and in, in reaching the unreached. It was um, about a hundred years ago that some missionaries came to the region and evangelized the the uh, people group uh, near them called the Miskitu, but the Mayangna were, were a little bit more of an underdog group and seemed less of a priority. And the missionaries decided, you know, we don't need to translate the scripture for them. We'll just use the Miskitu language. And so they produced Miskitu hymn books and many things like that. Uh, made a town along one of the rivers and invited all the Mayangna people to come and live there. And so they could teach them the Bible. So there's a, a kind of a gathered community there um, where they go to church every Sunday on the way to church, the ladies pull out their little veilings and put them on their heads. And um, so in some ways it looks pretty good, but it doesn't take long in living among them to realize that here's a people with a very mixed up belief system where they've simply taken again, some of what they understood from those Moravian missionaries and mixed it in with their animistic uh, worldview. 
so that um, just for example when the when a child is sick you may call on the reverend the church leader to come and pray but he's also the man who is the village shaman in many cases and he's the one who will attempt to uh, say a spell over the child so that any um any evil spirits or any any curse that's been cast can be can be uh, nullified so it's kind of this this strange and sad a mixture of with no real relationship with the lord jesus and part of the reason for that is that uh, no translation was ever done until around the end of the century and then a couple of rather ungodly um, so-called Christian men uh, did these did the translation one did the Old Testament one did the New Testament uh, single person jobs and uh, it's a translation that's littered through with terms that are either animistic or simply meaningless for example the term for spirit is uh, is is basically is just the English word beat it spirit and uh, has no meaning at all in Mayangna uh, the word for holy is holy, which has no meaning at all in Mayangna. And so when you say spirit holy uh, to them, that's like a church word. It's talking about that, whatever that thing is in the Bible called the spirit holy. And they don't even have the concept of what that is. So uh, definitely a need for some, for a, a, a new translation there. So Ben Sullivan uh, from the West Coast has lived among them for a number of years um, and married one of the Mayangna girls and they're now living back uh, in in the west coast here in the U.S. because of his involvement with that people group uh, it was and because of the Spanish interest in their land it got to be where living among them was dangerous for him so they are not on site right now but um, begun working in translation with the with the people there the one of the one of the most important commodities that they have is their land in fact their identity as a people is very much tied to the land it's a it's a rich land bountiful and it's something that the spanish people around them really want and so there's been a lot of deception intrigue violence uh, surrounding this and anisa's family uh, ben's father-in-law now, uh, Patricio, Celina, their family are now not living in the country as well. They're all in Honduras. I think this picture was taken at the children's home in Siguatepeque in Honduras, where the Pilgrim Conference has a mission there. And so Patricio would be one whom Ben has worked with from the beginning, a, a godly man, community leader there, um, here he is with three of his children now involved in the translation of the Mayangna Bible. And it's just such a blessing. Uh, there are many stories behind this, how that all, all, all these people are a part of the project and how God has provided um, through the use of translation tools. Uh, ben is able to be a part of the project from, from Washington now and a lot of good tools for translation. So pray for them. Uh, resolution to the land crisis. Uh, pray that the Lord would direct regarding the possibility of a community development team member as well. And just help and progress for the Bible translation and 
knowing what to prioritize is there's a lot of people working together and many different things that need to be done. Also, just recently, a couple of hurricanes went through the area um, where the Mayangna live. So pray for them as they recover from that and that they can have the food that they need as well. Moving up to Mexico, in southern Mexico, the uh, Miztec people live and Ethan and Lene Wagoner from Washington also um, went down there about five years ago to live among the Miztec people of the Yolo Social dialect in southern Mexico. They were joined just about a year ago by another family, the Flores from their congregation and the Heggies from Shippensburg Christian Fellowship here in PA. Uh, the Miztec are a people who live in uh, somewhat remotely in that region back in the mountains. And there are people bound again by fear, fear of the spirits, of curses, of, of uh, bad omens, um, many things, many just normal everyday things that, that strike fear into their hearts. They need to know the truth of God's word and be led to the Lord Jesus. Here Ethan is at a, a workshop with one of the Mistech speakers who was a language helper and now is helping with the translation project. So thanks to God for this man's uh, participation. And as they work, they're, uh, they're actually adapting a translation from another Mistech dialect that was done um, in the New Testament. They're able to do that. But this other dialect, as is often the case, um, only did the New Testament, did not do the Old. So the Old Testament is going to be a, a bigger project. Another thing they've begun is to whet the people's appetite with little little booklets they can read, often maybe just one or two words on a page, starting to whet their appetite for literacy. As a people who has nothing or almost nothing to read in their own language, uh, literacy is going to be an important part of the work. The Mistec team was here last year for their team launch, and one of the things they did while they were here was uh, prepared a a stone in our prayer garden here. And they put this verse on it. The people that walked in darkness, the Mistec of Mexico, have seen a great light. Pray for them as they're in, in language learning. Some of them are, are still learning Spanish. Some are working on Mistec and going deeper into Mistec. Uh, the Bible translation is it continues and there's work being done right now to prepare for chronological Bible teaching and uh, for working in literacy. Across the ocean, uh, 12 hours away from here, where I guess it's uh, Saturday evening now, in uh, Indonesia, live the Sungai people. Again, this is a code name. Um, both a, a uh, both an urban and a rural people. Several hundred thousand of them on the main island there, one of the main islands of Indonesia, and on a survey trip in a rural village. Uh, this, this village leader was handed a psalm in, in Indonesian. He read it, read this short psalm, and, and then his comment was, you know, if this was in my language, I could really understand it. And so this illustrates, even as a village leader, um, the need for a scripture in their own heart language. Uh, the trade language of the country simply won't do for the establishing of a, of a strong church. 
So the uh, Levi and Angie and their family are there serving uh, since two years ago and uh, Matthew and Andrea and their family. Levi has lots of opportunities for relating with people and officials and, and uh, people who are interested in the kind of things that he's interested in, like beekeeping. And this leads to a lot of relationships, such as this one with a, a young man who, who recently decided that he wants to follow the way of Levi's master as well. And it brought, it's bringing a lot of tension and difficulty for this young man and his family in a Muslim context. So again, this, this uh, group two years ago was here for team launch and uh, made a, prayer, a stone in the prayer garden. To you, all the nations will come from the ends of the earth and they will know that my name is Yahweh. Let's see, I missed the prayer points on that one. Um, maybe Bryant can throw in a few at the end. Um, Tarumara in Northern Mexico, this would be our most recent project. Uh, these are people in the Copper Canyon region where you can look down on the top of your house and where there's tropical fruit down in the canyons and up on the mountains, occasionally there's snow. So it's quite a uh, diverse region. It's been a uh, family working there, the Elisha Bider family, for 10 years or more uh, in church planting. And it, it, through this effort, they've just come to realize as they work in two communities there, two villages, uh, the desperate need for Tarumata scripture. There has been some done in other dialects, um, but it is a very... Uh, very dynamic translation of only the New Testament and in another dialect. So there's a need for the scripture here toward the establishment of this church. So just recently, the team who was here finishing up team launch this fall, uh, Pauline Hoover from Pennsylvania here of the Weaverland Conference and David Rosine Sensenig as well. And Juanita Byler is a daughter of Elisha Byler's that have been serving there and her heart is for her Tarumata people as well, and plans to work in literacy there. Uh, another need of this people is a need for community development. And Elisha uh, has tried to help them and to develop different ways where they can support themselves there in the community and locally, but it's very challenging for them. And the easy solution is just to go out to the cities for months at a time which with that practice, it makes it very, very difficult to establish a church there with, with elders and with uh, strong local members. It's something you can, we can pray about for them is that they can find a way to support themselves locally and not have to go out and work in the cities for long periods of time. Here Juanita has already done a little bit of work in literacy, uh, doing some pre-literacy exercises, pre-reading exercises with a few of the people gathered there. As we uh, come to the end of our little tour of projects, take a look at this little boy in this literacy class and just think about him. Uh, perhaps in a few years as a, as a teenager, maybe he'll be leading some literacy classes and maybe in a few more years, uh, if he is following the Lord Jesus, he'll be 
able to uh, serve in the in the local body just uh, the vision of a local indigenous church is what keeps these people going here's the team together the bilers and the team that just finished uh, team launch here with their stone in the prayer garden Tarumara of Mexico, God will dwell with them and they shall be his people. Again, our vision for them. Communities of believers in every language group living out the word of God. So how can you learn more? One thing you can do is come to explore. Uh, this coming year, it's planned, I believe, for June 4 and 5. This is a place where uh, basically, for two days, you can get firsthand stories, intriguing snapshots, thoughtful insights. This is annually at the beginning of June. And you can register anytime for next year. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be having this next year. Uh, register at allnationsbt.org slash explore 2021. What are things you can do now? Well, you can follow what's happening, uh, sign up for our newsletter, uh, allnationsbt.org slash subscribe, or emails, find our blog as well at allnationsbt.org, or even our YouTube channel. There's a lot of interesting material there on our YouTube channel, All Nations Bible Translation. You can pray and you can give. One of the ways to pray and give systematically is with a sponsorship where you give monthly toward a team's support and get annual prayer card and occasional updates along with that. Uh, you can sign up for those on online or, or contact us. Allnationsbt.org slash sponsor. Finally, just two little product products that we've developed in the past couple of years. Uh, one is the history of the English Bible. It was, Studying this subject that originally led to the founding of All Nations Bible Translation, a project that Joel Martin was doing in his schooling. And, and so we've, we've produced an, a dramatized audio version of, of the history of the English Bible. It tells the story of William Tyndale and others who laid down their lives. Again, you can watch this for free on our website, allnationsbt.org slash English Bible. And... Secondly, this is actually a video series, God's Word Enduring Through the Ages, an opportunity to confirm your confidence in the Bible, and uh, talks about inspiration, canonization, uh, preservation, and the power and influence of the Bible. Those aren't just big words. They're often real questions, and they have good answers. Can we be sure the Bible is the inspired truth of God? How was the Bible passed down to us? Was it corrupted? Are there more than 66 books? And how does God's word impact the lives of people and nations? Again, you can watch this anytime for free at allnationsbt.org slash God's word video. And that brings me to the end. Um, just open it up for Q&A or I'll turn it back over to Bryant here. Okay, thank you, Aaron. Uh, good job. You did. You did really well for six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, if I would have told you a year ago that you were going to do a, 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 an All Nations presentation on Zoom at six in the morning, you would have uh, 
said you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, things have changed, haven't they? Things have changed. We've ended up doing some of these, you know, on Zoom. We actually, uh, for 2020, the plans were to do a um, uh, a tour. We do every four years. Typically, we do a tour, a tour, just the states and, and Canada, and talking about all nations and churches. And uh, well, that didn't happen this year. God had other plans, so. We've learned how to use Zoom uh, some. So, um, yeah, any, any questions from the group here for Aaron? And, and while, you're th- while you're thinking about that, um, Aaron, could you just tell us, uh, can you just tell us, like, typically how long does a, you know, an all-nations church planning team, Bible translation team, like, um, how much time is, do they plan for on the field? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know uh, because – all Nations itself is only 10 years old and the first family headed to the field five years ago. But um, we'd project that it could be anywhere from 10 or 20 or more years, uh, depending on the situation. Uh, it takes a couple of years just to, you know, two years minimum of digging deep into that language. Uh, generally, you have to learn the trade language first and then the actual target language that you're going to be translating into. And, uh, this can take a few years. And then along with that, getting a real good grasp of the culture and worldview of the people. So it's a slow start. Uh, it requires just patient plotting. It's not, this isn't a flash uh, fast thing. So long-term, they need to work themselves out of a job where they can leave behind an indigenous church that doesn't depend on their in-person presence uh, just permanently. So this could be anywhere from, you know, 10, 20 years or more. Mm-hmm. Any questions from, from uh, the group here? Yes, I have one. Yes, Brother Dan. Uh, decades ago, I heard this anecdote. And at the time, I sort of cringed about it. Now I have a, a, a less narrow idea, uh, having embraced uh, for my scripture reading such translations as Barclay and Phillips, which shall we say are rather liberal in terms of uh, uh, rigid hewing to uh, word for word translation of, of the original text. So I just kind of trying to, to get bearings. This anecdote involved uh, a um, an attempt to make uh, indi- a translation for uh, an indigenous people. I think it was in Labrador. And uh, the person who was making this translation assessed that uh, the idea of sheep would be meaningless to these people because there wasn't anything in their environment that would support sheep. So everything that he that was uh, a reference to sheep or lambs he rendered as harp seals and of course the lamb of god was the baby harp seal of god i i I guess i'm supposing that's the case what would be your perspective on that aaron (laughs) what was the word that you said they used harp seals Oh, okay. A seal. Harp, the harp seal is a is a very sweet and gentle thing, and they they are a, a sort of an icon uh, for and against people who are uh, ardently uh, 
environmentally oriented. The the uh, baby harp seal has a very coveted, uh, I guess it's a coveted hide, and they come in in white, I think. And uh, um, so uh, there's a there was a campaign to to save the harp seal and especially the baby harp seal, which was uh, slaughtered uh, more or less indiscriminately. And then on on the dark side, on the counterpoint side, uh, you've seen these uh, cynical bumper sticker type slogans, uh, nuke the whales. Uh, well, that same attitude is manifest in, in uh, kill the baby harp seals. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so Aaron, uh, what would be your answer to, yeah. to uh, contextualization like that? well clearly there's a place um for some for some contextualizing uh, because we want the meaning to get across where it's not going to be clear we want to we want them to get the meaning that uh aaron you you, aaron you shut yourself off Uh, when you when you hit your when you hit your headset Yeah, just, just, I would, you could just pull your, unhook your headset. We could just hear you um, with your audio and your computer. Yeah, I think you got it now. Try this. Hey, that, that works great. All right. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, yeah, what, one of the things, one of the things to consider is the, um, there may be times to take a another to replace a a term with something that's going to be understood. But often when it's there's two problems at least right away with doing it in this case, and that would be historically um, harp seal in Israel. Um, what was that thing they were offering on the altar? Was it a harp seal? Well, hardly. And so creating a historical anomaly is something that could be a problem. And then two, just the fact that this sheep uh, figure is so prevalent all the way through the scriptures. It's, it's a key concept. Um, like you mentioned, the, behold the Lamb of God. Um, Obviously, for that to have any meaning, you have to use the same term back in the Old Testament. Chances are, this people that you were referring to, this project you're referring to, only did the New Testament. That's often the case, and they don't think about those things. But, um, yeah, the historical anomaly and, and the fact that this is a consistent metaphor used throughout the Scripture uh, could have serious problems. A third problem is just kind of that condescending attitude that, that says those people are too dumb to figure out and learn what a sheep is, uh, you know, why not teach them? We, we understand how many of us have ever worked with sheep. How many of us have ever seen a camel? How many of us, uh, many other things in the Bible, we understand what they are and they're not so unintelligent that they can't learn that as well. But that's a couple of, a couple of points in relation to that specific issue. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Good question, Dan. I appreciate that. Um, anybody else? You haven't put you haven't put Aaron on the spot yet. I would say it's, it's 
work them out. <laughs> we always get a couple of good questions at a, at a presentation. <laughs> where are you, sir? And where is uh, uh, this uh, conclave going to occur uh, on June 5th and 4th and 5th? Okay, State College, Pennsylvania. Middle of the You ain't far from me. Nope, not far from you at all, Dan. We can see the Penn State Stadium right from the All Nations property. For better or for worse. I'm familiar, pardon me, I'm familiar with the um, Wycliffe Bible Translators. And uh, yeah. I, I was actually visited there once. And I had the privilege of... Uh, Okay. Break, breaking the um, diving board in your swimming pool. <laughs> okay. That's my contribution so far. <laughs> wow, that's too uh, bad. <laughs> it's quite a, it's a bit of an embarrassment, I'm sure, but I'm sure they, that's long ago. Anyway, um, what would you, how would you relate your effort to theirs? Um, in terms of what people groups you target, in terms of uh, your philosophy of translation, uh, of uh, dealing with linguistic uh, issues that uh, that doubtless uh, uh, have controversies surrounding them. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what uh, people groups we target, um, their focus is definitely very broad. Um, in fact, their kind of mantra is, is to, uh, work with the local lingual church in their, in their work. And so that right away tells you that the places they're working, they're kind of assuming that there is a local church already established. And so many, many cases, that's what they're, they're working with, with local churches who simply want a scripture, the language in their own language, the, the scripture in their own language, and don't yet have it. Um, yeah, in relation to, uh, forget the the term, but yeah, translation, philosophies, principles, and that kind of thing. We learn from people who have a lot of experience in SIL and Wycliffe, um, but we definitely have some different values. One of the unfortunate things that's practiced uh, often in some of their Muslim context projects has again to do with this thing of contextualization and taking, uh, replacing terminology that might be considered offensive to the Muslim mind. Uh, for instance, the idea of God as a father. You know, the, a big thing with the Muslims is, okay, well, if he was the father, who was his wife? Um, and that kind of thing. And so referring to God as Father, Jesus as Son, a lot of translations will actually take out that terminology, uh, which is not faithful translation. Uh, it's motivated by other acceptability uh, sort of motivations. So um, that's not across the board, but there, there is some of that happening that supporters often don't even realize. Just as an example. And another thing too, Aaron, that would, you know, they're not focused so much on, you know, seeing disciples raised up, you know, so it's kind of this intellectual, you know, in an office translation, 
which is part of our work, but uh, a real, all this for us is the end goal of seeing a local community, you know, faithful followers of Jesus that are, that are utilizing this text and using it for discipleship and, and advancement of the kingdom. Um, so, and, and, and the sad reality is that a lot of these big name translations uh, organizations, their, their translations sit on shelves because they kind of come in, learn the language, do a translation and say, here's the Bible and leave. Um, but you know, what is the Bible? I mean, it's, it's for, it's for a community. Um, like someone has said, Jesus didn't come and, and write a book. He came and commissioned the community. And so, um, you know, really that just needs to be our end goal. Um, it's a lot harder, a lot longer project to see that happen, but you know, it's, it's been, there's an organization that we, that we collaborate with some, uh, new tribes mission or now ethnos 360. And that's their focus is seeing a church raised up and, They've been around 75 years, just like Wycliffe. But you go back and compare the, you look at the percentage of translations that are being used within Ethnos 360 compared to Wycliffe, and Ethnos 360 is way higher. Huge percentage of their, of their Bibles are being used and, and, and read and, and taught from and, and, you know, uh, in, in, in their work compared to Wycliffe that are sitting on a shelf because there wasn't a community raised up around that so. It is an interesting study. Um, yeah, any other questions? Yes, yeah. I have another one. <laughs> uh, what, what is your uh, um, perspective on the uh, the Septuagint, which sure. uh, uh, I have learned to uh, respect sure. a lot and uh, perhaps even prefer to the, uh, the uh, translations we have, for example, in our English Bible uh-huh. from the Masoretic text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is That's your question? That's a good question, Aaron. Yeah, there's probably a variety of perspectives in all nations, um, members, and so forth. But our, our stance is to translate from the Masoretic text and that the Septuagint can be referred to, and in places where it brings necessary clarity, that its readings could be used. Um, so we don't know what all that might look like. Sure, and also, um, one of the things, um, you know, obviously the Septuagint was a he- is a Hebrew translation. Um, I'm sorry, a, a Greek translation uh, of, of the Hebrew text, and uh, our, our Old Testament translators do a ton. Obviously, they learn Hebrew. Um, but through that whole study, too, you, you learn the culture and get a real um, clear understanding of that of that context, which is really foundational to um, faith Bible translation, because really a translator at the end of the day is, is uh, becomes a theologian, actually, for better or for worse. Um, Brian, your, your volume is low. Oh, you can't hear me very well? No. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was just saying that. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Septuagint is is is, is respected, and um, it's an incredible translation. You know, of, of the Hebrew text. Um, but our our Old Testament translators do learn Hebrew, um, which is foundational, really, to understanding the culture and the context of the Old Testament. And then, and through that, it gives them a real clear understanding to know how to actually translate from, you know, from the Mas, you know, from the Hebrew, um, obviously we're referencing the Septuagint, referencing the, 
the English Bible, but it gives you a real clear understanding for, for an accurate translation of, of the concepts and, and things that are there in, in the Old Testament. One of the culture shocks I've experienced uh, in fellowshipping among the Anabaptists is uh, the ones around here uh, is uh, um, some serious dissonances involving um, uh, the Masoretic text and the um, the Septuagint, among which, for example, is uh, uh, when you look at things that are obviously quotes of the Old Testament, uh, right there in your King James Bible, uh, in the New Testament, uh, and you go to check check on them in the, your new your Old Testament, you find out that they they're not the same. Right. But if you go to the Septuagint, you'll find out that oh yeah, man, that's that's really what it really said. And it becomes clear that uh, the, 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 uh, the evangelists and the epistlers were, were using something closer to the Septuagint than right. the Masoretic text. The other thing, one of the other things is um, um, there's stuff that's in the Masoretic text that doesn't appear. There is this really curious passage uh, in Kings or Chronicles or Samuel, one of them three, um, which is an account of uh, uh, David uh, being involved in the uh, fight for uh, against Goliath, and uh, uh, it doesn't make sense because Joab and Saul and such. Uh, are wondering who this kid David is when uh, the previous chapter tells us that uh, David was uh, uh, was in the court of Saul and Serenadian. Uh And that just doesn't appear in the Septuagint. So, so uh, what do y'all do about that? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the, that's a passage that on my mind, in my mind is a place where our translators will have to consider falling back on the, Septuagint, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, good questions. Any other questions? Yeah, can you hear me, Brian or Aaron? Okay. Yep, we yes. can hear you well. How, how, how often or how common is it for a new word to be have to be created for understanding? For instance, you mentioned the word spirit and holy. How often does a, there is no word to represent the concept or thought or or uh, subject that a new word has to be created and taught in language. Mm -hmm. Good question. Well, not more often than necessary, at least. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's most of the time there's a way to express a concept, but and and often there's other options. Um, such as bringing in a familiar term from the trade language, from Spanish or whatever. Um, and then sometimes there's, sometimes there is the, the need. So in this particular case with the Mayamna, um they didn't make a new word for holy, but actually for the word spirit, they put together a couple of, of, uh, Morphemes, I guess, in, in my young that perfectly communicated the idea of a spirit. Um, 
they had a kind of a term for a person. They had an earth person is the human. And so they coined the term air person. And it, uh, after trying it out, we decided, yeah, that communicates the spirit idea. And so they put a word with that for holy and there's their Holy Spirit it actually communicates what it's supposed to. So that does happen. Um, it ought to be as rare as, as possible in general. Um, so, yeah, coining new terms and teaching people what a new term means isn't necessarily ideal. When you gave that anecdote about uh, the problem with the Holy Spirit, um, pardon me, I'm venturing into the realm of, co uh, of uh, comment, not question. Um, it, it struck me that why wouldn't you do what the Greek does, which, uh, uh, and I think the Hebrew does, which is uh, the word spirit and the word wind are, and breath are the same in many instances. Is that not the case? And then with the, with the word holy, uh, well, the word holy in English is charged with all kinds of ecclesiastical and sanctimonious yeah. right. connotations when it just means utterly unique. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. The, the first part of that, or a good comment. Um, yeah, I don't remember uh, what Ben had to say about that. I might ask him about it sometime. Well, we are about 10 minutes after seven already. So thank you for all your questions and interests, et cetera, here. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, so why don't we just, um, yeah, maybe uh, Sam, Sam Bear, I'll ask you to close us in prayer here. Uh, but just, just an announcement here about next week. Um, Leo Evie, Brother Leo here, is plans to talk on um, next Saturday morning, Lord willing, here on Strength to Strength. Uh, his, his subject or title for his topic is going to be the glorious majesty of his kingdom. So as, as many of you know, I, I've uh, been incredibly blessed by Brother Leo. He and I used to be part of the same congregation. And um, I've, I've said that, that Leo is, is my spiritual midwife. <laughs> He's taught me so much about the gospel of the kingdom um, and look at him as a, a father uh, in many ways. Um, so I'm looking forward to that topic. I know that he has been preaching the kingdom of God for a long time and I look forward to hearing him, hearing what he has to say um, next, next Saturday morning. So yeah, thanks Aaron for sharing. Thank you all for your interest here. And um, uh, Sam, could you just close us in prayer? Sure. Uh, thanks for sharing that Aaron. Really enjoyed it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, it's been an encouragement to see your work um, going on around the globe. Um, we thank you for the people that have answered the call to go to these unreached peoples um, and to translate your holy word into, the, into a language that they can understand. We pray, Lord, that you would your spirit would continue to move in the hearts and lives of individuals who would be willing to make a sacrifice like this. Um, our minds and hearts go out to each one, and we thank you for their uh, strength. We thank you for the work that all nations is doing. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them for it. And may your kingdom continue to grow. Um, may we each 
feel a burden for the community that we live in, for the hearts that uh, mm. live around us, that we would be willing to make sacrifices daily so your kingdom could continue to grow. Mm. Just bless, bless each one that has heard this today with a special blessing. Um, may you, that your spirit inspire each one of our hearts mm. and just um, continue to stir up individuals. Um, I know that we're mere humans, but you've, you've used them uh, throughout time to uh, propel your purpose forward here on the earth. Just bless each one. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.